Hi, diddly ho, neighborino. How's it going, Seth? I'm great. I liked that greeting. That was a good, good way to start. Trying to summon Ned Flanders. The spirit of Ned Flanders, <laughs> yeah. To summon the most religious character I can think of. Actually, I don't know. I'm trying to think if he's the most religious character. He's the most religious character in a show that I think is still, at the end of the day, like not a horribly evil person. I think there are a lot of shows that have really religious people that do really terrible things. But I wouldn't classify Ned Flanders that way. He's just a stereotype. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with your assessment of Ned Flanders. Well, let's see if we still agree after we dive into a very heated edition of what would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to run up a down escalator or down an up escalator for an hour straight? Oh, I think down an up escalator. Since I'm going down or I'm trying to go down, gravity would help me do you want to say any more about why you're wrong <laughs> well i think if, you, if you're trying to run up the down escalator you're just fighting against gravity the entire time i would i would contend that you're also fighting gravity when you are going down the entire time yeah but you can use gravity to help you but i think in using it to help you you're going to hurt yourself <laughs> You're going to fall down. That, or, I don't know, Seth, and maybe this is just an experience of mine because I am, like, significantly heavier than you. But I, I'm at the age when I'm thinking about what's going to have the least impact oh, yeah. on my joints. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and so going, be... going down, yeah, yeah, gravity helps you, but it's like every step is like you're falling. And, like, being going either one is going to be terrible. <laughs> Let's be honest. But I think I'd rather go up because, I mean, in my experience exercising, especially like running or hiking, going up takes a lot of exertion, but it's not as painful. And going down has the chance of like really becoming painful. Although I think my strategy would be to like go to the very, like the very edge of the escalator and then ride it all the way back down. And and then run up. Yeah. That's a, you know, if if I could use that strategy I'm with you. Then I change my I mind. think you could use that strategy going down too though. Like sure. just like just go pop to, down like you're going down to going down the stairs in your house. Get to the and bottom then just and ride, ride them back, back up. up. Man, I don't know. I think I might have talked myself in into a knot here. <laughs> I still think I would go up just, you know, at least at the end of it if I survived. I'd worked my glutes out really well oh yeah oh my gosh yeah this is either way this is a workout i'm still sticking with down fine well maybe we'll find something else to agree on maybe even in the passage we okay. go ahead and read it for us i would love to this is romans 10 verses 6 to 13 from the common english bible but the righteousness that comes from faith talks like this. Don't say in your heart, who will go up into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the region below, that is, to bring Christ 
up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the message of faith that we preach. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you have faith that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Trusting with the heart leads to righteousness, and confessing with the mouth leads to salvation. The scripture says all who have faith in him won't be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord is Lord of all, who gives richly to all who call on him. All who call on the Lord's name will be saved. Thanks for reading that, Seth. Uh, I don't know how familiar this passage is to you. Certainly a familiar one for me. But I think got some fresh things out of it coming back to it this week. But tell me what stood out to you as you read through it. This is a fairly familiar passage to me, but I think reading it in the common English Bible's translation is different enough that it helped it helped me mm. kind of see it in a new way from uh, the usual NRSV that that I read. But what caught my attention first is these almost rhetorical questions at the beginning that Paul puts in the audience's mouth. Right? Who will go up into heaven? Yeah. Who will go down into that region below? I just think, I mean, A, I think sometimes we can become preoccupied with those questions even now. But I think it's interesting that Paul's also like, let's not, let's not even talk about this. Yeah, this is really striking to me. So actually, from our last episode, I actually bumped the start of this passage back a few verses to include this because it kind of it felt like it kind of was a jarring entrance like right in the middle of verse eight but i felt like these verses were really important to set up the verses that i think are the most familiar here towards the end of confessing with your mouth that jesus is lord and having faith that god raised him from the dead you know and everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved you know those are some those are some favorite passages of, you know, those who are prone to make the altar calls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think the context here that Paul is offering is really interesting. It's hard to kind of read this out loud, but I encourage people, look up this passage. And you'll see how many cross-references there are to other passages of Scripture. There are references to Deuteronomy, like a lot of those questions that you mentioned, Seth, are coming from Deuteronomy. Okay. There's a reference to the book of Isaiah. There's a reference to the book of Joel. Like, Paul is doing some some preaching work <laughs> right now. And so so holding that in mind is, you know, seeing these things and thinking, too, of the context of the book of Romans, that Paul is writing to a persecuted church, a persecuted, oppressed people at the heart of empire, hmm. you know this is this is the yeah. the crown jewel of the Roman Empire. It's the namesake, for goodness' sake. <laughs> you know, it's it's the name of the whole place, and yet the church is developing an existence and a resistance in that hmm. space. So, holding all that in mind, is there anything about some of the stuff that Paul weaves together here that stands out to you? Your comment about the church kind of making a way out of what seems like no way in the midst of this oppression, and that 
even in the midst of that, they A, have to confess with their mouth and trust in their heart. It seems like just like the, the confessing, the verbal confession is just like, it's just so dangerous in the midst of a culture that like wants to trample out Christianity or that thinks it's already, it's already so fringe. Just seems like, like, wow, that's that's a dangerous move to make. Did that answer your question? Oh, it, it certainly okay. did. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking of a very like unrelated example. Because whenever you affirm something, you're usually simultaneously not affirming something else, right? So if I say, if there's anyone in the Richmond area that would be familiar with this, that Zorch Pizza is the best pizza in Richmond. It's a big claim. It is a big claim. But with that claim is the simultaneous claim that Piccola Italy, that Christian's Pizza, that all these other places are not the best pizza in Richmond. And this is a very trivial version of what was happening for the church in Rome and what, was, what Paul was encouraging here. By saying Jesus is Lord... In the heart of the Roman Empire, you are proclaiming that Caesar is not. <laughs> and I think there's a lot that translates to our context and setting, too. But I don't want to jump to that just yet. There's something else here, Seth, though, and you were talking about these questions before, that really stood out to me, and again, I think for me, kind of refresh this passage a little bit from something that I just kind of wrote off as something like so deeply marred by some of my experiences in the evangelical church that was just kind of beyond repair, (laughs) so to speak. And it's just so striking to me that Paul is countering the idea. He's like, don't say who's going up to heaven to get Jesus from there or who's going down to raise Jesus from the dead. No, he says the word is near you in your mouth, and in your heart. Hmm. And recognizing that in this time where we know from the witness of Scripture that followers of Jesus were wrestling with, what do we do now that Jesus is resurrected and Jesus is gone? Yeah, yeah. Paul is affirming not that we need to be thinking about heaven, not that we need to be centering ourselves on a dead Jesus, but that the power that Jesus offers, the power of salvation, of new life, is available here and now. Hmm. And goes on to kind of highlight some of the inclusion that comes along with that, right? Like, all who have faith in him won't be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, and all who call on the Lord's name will be saved. And so there's this message here, and I don't know if it ties to anything deeper, admittedly, but it's like, Stop thinking about you know, how godly Jesus is. <laughs> Stop thinking about what kind of sacrifice Jesus made. Because Jesus is alive. And that means something for us now. <laughs> hmm. This is really striking for me. And it really transitions this passage into a just a different light for me, I think. I want to hear more about that. But I also think we're dancing on the edge of what's the point. So maybe we can... You can talk about that, and then we can transition. Well, yeah, I think it is the transition point, Seth. It's So, on one hand, 
the narrative of this passage is really affirming of inclusion. We just ran through some of the verses that are like, you know, God's power is available to us here and now. And these are the implications for the type of community we need to be. There's also in that inclusion, also a sense of exclusion Hmm. in that there is resistance to the power structures, the powers that be there's resistance to the ways of empire. And it's amazing. You know, I think I know I'm part of the the crowd that gets so caught up in inclusion and saying yes and welcoming that as we talked about in our faith community here in Richmond a couple weeks ago, sometimes love tells us no. (laughs) And it's the, and it's, you know, the questions of figuring that out, I guess. I mean, that's the work of faith, right? How do we learn to say yes? And how do we learn to say no? And so I guess the question, Seth, that comes to mind from that is when does faith tell us to say yes? And when does it tell us to say no? Hmm. And probably more importantly, how can we tell the difference? (laughs) These are the big questions that the whole church is wrestling with, I think. So let's do it. Let's solve it. Yeah, we're going to figure it out. The first thing that comes to my mind is just when I think about what I want to say yes to, I always want to err on the side of grace. So I'd rather say yes to more than I say no. What I mean by that is like sometimes I'm going to take a risk and say yes to something that I think is inclusive, even if that annoys other people, it bothers them, uh, even if that upsets the powers and the traditional structures that we've been talking about. But then conversely, I want to say no when I see something that that aligns with structures that oppress people but i also want to say no if it in some way kind of obscures the gospel that is that god's gracious love for us is evident in the person of jesus christ and that we don't have to do anything to earn it so for me that those are always the things that i want to sniff out if i see something that that i think is like oh it denies that that person is made in the image of God. Now, that's a hard no for me. Or if I think, oh, that that's like a sneaky way that you know works righteousness finds its way into the church, then I want to I want to say a hard no to that too. I really resonate with what you said there, Seth, because there is something in me that at least wants to, whether or not I align this with my practice is another question, but that wants to err on the side of inclusion. Like I'd rather have to apologize or pretend to apologize (laughs) for being too welcoming and inclusive. But I also think you're right to talk about how like the converse of that is also our no, right? when including black and brown voices requires us to exclude the voices of white supremacists 
when including the voices of our trans kin requires us to exclude the voices of those who are transphobic. That feels like both a holy yes and a holy no. But I think the key distinction there is thinking about spaces where we can say yes, not only to those on the margins, but say yes in ways that bring us to be with and among those on the margins. Hmm. And say no to being caught up in systems of power and domination, whether that be things that affect us very, very personally or thinking on larger and systemic scales. Yeah, it makes a difference where we're hanging out when we say yes or no. And I think we've talked about this on some previous episodes. Like one of the things that shapes the way, one of the things that shapes the way we read some of Paul's letters is his position as someone who's oppressed or he'll write it from prison or he'll write it as a, as an ostracized Jew who has then converted to Christianity. Somehow our own position affects the way that other people hear our yes and our no. Just like you were saying, if if we align ourselves and are with people who are marginalized and continue to say yes to the forces that are life-giving for them, that just seems like it makes our no to the powers that be like a lot more powerful, right? It's a lot harder to ignore when you're already with people who are marginalized. And then you say no to the powers. But when you're in power and you say no to the powers, it's like, okay. That was a that was a small sacrifice. So I guess to kind of bring us home, Seth. And normally I ask big questions. <laughs> This one, this one might be a little bit more of a softball, but I'm curious to know if there are any situations going on in the world right now that you feel like this passage and our conversation speaks to, because as we've talked about in our intro to our episodes before, you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. So I'm wondering, as we're in conversation with each other, conversation with the scripture and conversation with the community of folks that listen to us jabber on every week, what do you think the Bible has to say? What do you think Romans 10, 6 through 13 has to say about the world as of, at the time of this episode's release, as of March 5th, 2022? You told me this was going to be a softball question, but I was like... I was hesitant to believe you. <laughs> That's like the time I was in a uh, in part of my ordination process uh, way back. This was a long time ago. It was like one of the first groups that had to interview me to like approve me to interview. It was like first first steps, and I knew a couple people in the group, including a a layperson that uh, I had worked with several times on different ministry teams and really liked and respected. And she looked at me in the middle of that interview and said, I have an easy question for you. 
I think her exact words were, I've got an easy one for you. How do you know you're in the kingdom of God? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought this was going to be like. But to answer your question seriously, Russia's invasion of Ukraine strikes me as as not only the the big current event, but also the question is who who do we support in that conflict? And whose side are we on? And I think I'll just speak honestly that it's hard. It's hard for me to watch all of the coverage because I would consider myself a pacifist. But I also think that pacifism doesn't mean that we have to be neutral. So then the question for me is like, well, who, you know, who is on the side of life and liberty and I, that I want to say yes to? Who's inclusive? Who's the aggressor is the other question. Who do I want to say no to? Like, who's, who's the one who's attacking, who's, who's, you know, bombing hospitals from where I sit in Pennsylvania? It seems extraordinarily easy to tell that the people of Ukraine are being invaded by by Russia and that Vladimir Putin has nothing but vengeance and disgust for the people of Ukraine, that he has maligned them, you know, all the time on the news and press conferences. He's used social media to do that. What I want to say yes to, who I want to be inclusive of, is all the people in Ukraine who are fighting for their lives and their country and also the people in Russia who were pushing back against their their leaders and the empire. Because I think that those people in Russia get a bad rap. That we tend to just think of Russia as, as a block. We say, oh, Russia's attacking. But there's so many people who have, in Moscow, in St. Petersburg, who have, who have had huge protests to push back. And say, no, 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 no. We don't want these people to die either. They're our neighbors. We have family there. I vacationed there and met people. I had the best pizza of my life in Ukraine. (laughs) Is that the conflict that you had in mind? Or is there something else in the world? No, that certainly was the conflict I had in mind. And I think, Seth, you're, you're spot on to highlight the nuance of all of it too because I think it's so easy I mean most of the last century of this country's existence has been defined by othering and demonizing Russia or the Soviet Union yes there are very clear examples of Putin and those around Putin and those mobilized by Putin telling total and utter falsehoods for the sake of justifying a horribly immoral and violent invasion, like heart stop. And I think we need to recognize the ways that we also need to stand up and say no <laughs> to things going on in our own context, in our own setting, 
that look very, very similar. War in Ukraine is terrible. It's horrible. It's horrendous. And we've I feel like we've seen it like we we haven't seen war, at least not in my lifetime. But I don't think that's because it hasn't happened. I think it's because we're not paying attention. And honestly, that sounds too neutral for what's actually happening. But we're ignoring the places that aren't Europe. <laughs> where war has been ravaging people. People who are vulnerable. For generations. Sometimes at the hands of our own military. <laughs> and so I'm right there with you it is an opportunity for us to say a holy no maybe even a holy hell no (laughs) to to leaders who are willing to sacrifice the children of those who can't afford to get out of fighting for their own devices i just want us to be fully aware of all the times that those war games have happened and continue to happen and not pretend that pointing the finger elsewhere is going to totally solve that. I've talked about my love for Twitter a little bit on the podcast, but I did see another tweet recently that said something like, if you support taking refugees from Ukraine, but you haven't supported taking refugees from all the other places, you know, that have been ravaged by war and invasions, places that the United States government has bombed ourselves. Maybe you should, the tweet said, maybe you should take a long, hard look at why. It just shows the way that Europe can dominate our conversation. And we always have to ask why that is. And maybe that's another thing we need to say hell no to. Yeah. I think it's important important for us to ask why why whiteness needs to be at the center of our attention and i hope and pray we can say hell no to it (laughs) can i pray for us seth i would absolutely love that god of justice in days where those in power demand our allegiance and they're willing to risk countless innocent lives for their own devices, we claim that you are Lord. Give us grace to embrace this claim so that we can see salvation, new life, here and now for all. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, including in Ukrainian, In Russian, we pray in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week, we're looking at Genesis chapter 15. It's God's covenant with Abraham. But until then, thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it. I'm with I really resonated with what you started with about not with what I ended wanting, with. No, that's okay. I'm no, I just kidding. No, that's no, I definitely did too. I just wanted to talk about that other stuff <laughs> first. Okay, sorry.